Coming to you from the lab where they talk about guns, gear, training, and everything in between. Here are your hosts, Mike and Big Key, and this is The Gun Experiment. How's it going, everybody, and welcome to The Gun Experiment. This week, Keith and I are proud to bring you a special episode with an in-depth conversation featuring the father of a school shooting victim. I want to remind everyone that we release new content every Tuesday morning, so be sure to subscribe and share the show with friends. And as always, I cannot start the show without the big man across the table. My co-host, Big Keith, is in the house. Keith, what's going on? Oh, you know, not much. Getting ready for a little snow, maybe? Yeah, yeah. It's uh, starting to get to that time of year. <laughs> I had to uh, had to blow up the uh, big snow tubes that uh, I have for my kids. They've been a little upset the last couple of storms. They haven't had them to use. Yeah. yeah. So, uh, you know, I was yep. nice dad before I came over here. And- Nice. So I want to get right into tonight's show. Uh, This is a little different than our normal format. We have certainly done it before, but it is rare. Uh, And so a little bit of background and a little bit of history. A while back, we had a guest on the show by the name of Laura Carno, and she was with Faster Colorado. Faster Colorado is an organization that looks to uh, put armed teachers or to, uh, to train teachers to be armed in schools and to support that initiative. And so, um, after speaking her off the air, we said, are there any other guests that you think would be a good fit for our show? And she mentioned tonight's guest and uh, both of us thought it was a very compelling story and one that needs to be heard. Uh, Certainly a very serious topic. And so uh, tonight's show is going to be a little bit different. Uh, We're going to do more of a long form conversation and a real in-depth interview, if you will. Uh, I'm going to get all of our ad reads out of the way early, and then that way we can have a, a, a you know conversation without interruption. And so today's interview was brought to us by the following sponsors. Uh, first, we have 4Patriots.com. And while we live in a country known for its excess, the pandemic put a giant spotlight on how fragile our food chain can be when put to the test. So this is why we really need to make sure that we're prepared for long-term food shortages. Keith and I have found that 4Patriots is a great way to supplement your food stores with inexpensive and tasty food that can last up to 25 years. The folks at 4Patriots want you to have the chance to get the best deals possible, so they set up a special page for our listeners at 4Patriots.com forward slash gun experiment 10, and they can get weekly discounts and deals, but act quickly because the deals will change each week. And our second sponsor for tonight is Flatline Fiber Co. Flatline is our favorite soft goods company, and we've been using their gear for years. They make IFAC pouches, slings, ear pro wraps, and dump pouches. And all of their products have been thoughtfully created and thoroughly tested. Chad is a great guy and he puts a strong emphasis on customer satisfaction. And all of his products are made in the U.S. and have a lifetime warranty. So check them out at flatlinefiberco.com. And to sweeten the deal, use the discount code GUNEXPERIMENT10 at checkout to get 10% off. So without further ado, today's guest is the father of Kendra Castillo, a student in a Colorado high school who bravely lunged at a classmate after they pulled out a gun in class. Please welcome John Castillo to the show. John, how you doing? I'm doing well. Good. Yes, thank good. you for having me. Of course. Thank you so much for coming on. It's a, it's a pleasure and an honor to have you here. John, if you could, uh, I'd like you to tell us a little bit about your son, Kendrick. And I, I ask that because I really want to get to know him through your eyes as best as possible with the time that we have you here tonight. Yeah, absolutely. You know, just, uh, Kendrick was 
an amazing young man, an amazing kid. He uh, grew up here in the Rockies, Colorado, uh, hunting, four-wheeling. Um, he was big into robotics in his high school, um, uh, programming and fabricating chassis for uh, a robotics team. Was just, I don't know, nicest person you could ever meet, not just because he was our son, but he just lived his life where he was the guy that if somebody was broken down on the side of the road, he would make a U-turn and come back to help someone. And uh, he was just a, such a lively, free, loving spirit. Um, he went pre-K through the eighth grade in private Catholic school and then uh, entered a charter school for high school. Um, and of course, you know, he only had three days left of that high school before he, he was going to go into college. And one week before graduation um, went on May 7th of 2019, um, two gunmen entered a classroom and started to shoot. And uh, the second gunman was demanding people to get on their knees so he can execute them when Kendrick jumped from his chair to uh, rush the shooter, but not before fatally, be fatally being shot. Wow. So a couple things here. Uh, first off, uh, while I was doing some research and, and sort of digging through the internet a little bit on <clears throat> the situation and the story, uh, I did find many accounts of uh, students, other students speaking about Kendrick, um, talking about his character, talking about you know how friendly he was, how he would go out of his way to help other people and to uh, some people mentioned, you'd mentioned the robotics, how he had helped them along to kind of improve their ability to work in that, in that field a bit. When you, when you mentioned what happened that day, I'm assuming that there has been, obviously there's been an investigation and whatnot. Do you as parents and, and the community have all the details come out about that? Like, have you seen all of the reports on what happened? We have learned a lot through the trial that took place for the adult shooter. Um, we went through and we were astonished to find out the planning and things that went into this horrific event. Uh, the juvenile shooter entered a plea bargain and, you know, is doing a life sentence, but is eligible for parole um, earlier than the adult shooter. But but we've learned, we learned a lot of it through that, and we're in current litigation um, with the school and school board, uh, because as it sets as a government entity, um, they're not pervy to share any information. So we actually had to go through what's called the Claire Davis Act. Mm -hmm. Claire Davis is a girl who uh, was also shot in an Arapahoe uh, high school shooting here in Colorado. Her parents and uh, attorneys and uh, you know politicians created this act that allows um, you know victims, survivors like us to go after and find the truth. So that's currently what we're using. So we found that truth. We're just not able to talk about a lot of it now because um, they're still fighting us in court. Mm -hmm. So I I think like I found that kind of interesting. Uh, um, it, it I. 
I grasped, I think, I thought I grasped from the articles that I was reading that you do know that, like, exactly what happened personally, but you're not allowed to talk about it, like you just said. And I found that odd. Like, you're not allowed to express your First Amendment rights on that. And, you know, you investigated this through, how did you get the information that's not public if it isn't able to be public? Well, here's what we had to do, you know, just the whole thing came together fairly interesting. Uh, you know, I had a friend tell me, you know, at a certain point, he said, do you know of an attorney? Do you need one? And I mm -hmm. thought, well, gee, I don't know. Right. And as, as we talked about this, you know, I questioned and went and did a consultation with an attorney. And he said, you realize that time is running out from the time of the shooting. You only have a, you know, set amount of time to request anything. Hmm. So we went through and we gathered depositions. We had over okay. 20 depositions. Okay. And we were able to get, get to the truth through that. Now you're right. We are being harnessed and they don't want us to talk about it. In fact, they've backed up the trucks of, yeah. They're sort of quoting that disclosing it would give like a roadmap of protocols and things like that for other, you know, um, shooters. But I, I, I don't know that, I mean, I'm sure you don't agree with that. I certainly don't know that I agree with that. It just seems like, you know, getting it out in the open would do the opposite of, you know, necessarily giving a roadmap in terms of showing where the problems were in this process or in these procedures that were in place in Kendrick's case. Yes, that's true. You know, the general consensus um, in the courtroom has been they're afraid we're going to expose where panic buttons and things like that are, which are already pretty you well know, publicly put out there in yeah. the news. So, so it, it's not that, but you know, these are the things that take place in the courtroom and sure. And you know, as we go through, um, we're, we're still trying to get to a point where we can have a jury decipher, um, what can be done. And I'm sure as time goes on that, you know, the likelihood of a jury agreeing to allow that information to be given is probably, it probably, I don't want to say lessons, but, you know, it gets harder and harder. Well, well, I think with the attorneys for the school district and the school, that that's probably what they're hoping for. Mm. But, you know, as frequency of school shootings or acts of domestic terror, as I've come to call them, um, happen, you know, it just, rises back to the top again. So if it's not, you know, this particular act of domestic terror or school shooting, it, it's the latest one that's taken place. So I think that it keeps that sure. uh, need for the public to want that information on top, you know, as we point. move forward. So I, obviously there's things you can't talk about and I don't know what those are. So I'm going to ask questions <laughs> and, you know, if there's things that you're, you, you can't talk about or you don't know the answer to, obviously you can just say so and that's fine. But I, I'm, I did a little bit of research and found some answers to my question, but do we know why these perpetrators did this? Do we have, you know, a full understanding of what happened and what was going through their minds? And obviously, you know, that's, that could be tough just in general, but do we have any clue whatsoever what their thought process was? The things that we know that have already been out in the media and the public are uh, the transgender juvenile shooter. Um, 
was fed up with life and wanted people to feel, you know, the pain that they were feeling. And found a partner along the way with the adult shoe. So they created a plan to execute certain people in the classroom. They actually had a hit list. Uh, our son wasn't on that list, but we do know that there were other students that they were targeting, and they even had planned to have some students exit the room and others try to get into the room so that you know they can carry out their deed. Hmm. So that was uh, fed by a drug-induced morning of cocaine and things like that. So, um, yeah, there was some planning that had gone into this. And, you know, that's mm. the part that's been in the media. And, you know, I wish I can tell you much more that we've discovered, but did, other things out there. Did the adult shooter have an association with the school as well? Yes. Okay. In what capacity? They were both students? Yeah, the, he's considered an adult shooter just because of his age, age. so they're yeah. both students yeah. there gotcha and uh some of the reports that i had read were you know and this is really hard maybe hard to hear uh it certainly was hard for me to read it but the idea that people people spoke of the one student the the younger i believe it was i don't want to say highly but they said you know he was he was always nice he came by one teacher said we invited him into our lgbtq club and you know, there was this sort of, it almost seemed like people were shocked that this happened, um, which I think is very common in these things. It's a lot of times it's, you know, a lot of times you hear people say, well, something seemed off about that person. But a lot of times you hear people say that they're a little shocked at the situation. Um, obviously, every situation is different. Yeah. It, yeah. And what I can tell you about that is um, through the trial, I mean, we were just blown away um, by what we had learned and seen. Um which led us down this road to the Claire Davis Act. But, you know, there were, and I can talk about this because it, it was shown, you know, in, in the trial, but that juvenile shooter was cutting on her arm so bad it started from her wrist, like all the way up to her forearm. You know, there were these uh, slices made with like a razor blade on both arms. Mm -hmm. And, you know, the school had knowledge of this. They knew that these things were taking place and they knew that they had, troubled individuals. I think there was a, I want to say 37 to 40 absentee days throughout the year for both of them. Neither mm -hmm. one of them were going to, you know, uh, the adult shooter wasn't going to graduate. So there were all of these triggers and signs sure. around. In your opinion, do you feel that the school, you know, maybe didn't act or do enough to, you know, to maybe get these students the, the help that they needed? Like, do you think that there was cries for help that just got unmet? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, we, uh, we had learned through the trial that the student was put on a, supposed to be on a medical hold, went into a hospital and was released immediately and came back to school the very next day. Wow. So, yeah, you know, so there, there were some definite errors in what was taking place and how they were handling the situation. Um, with the students, you know, and then there were also unconfirmed reports that the adult shooter was living in his car, that his parents had kicked him out of the house prior to the shooting, mm. different things that was coming straight from students, you know? So, uh, there's all these triggers all the way around that, uh, kind of point out, you know, red flag, you know, look what's going on. here. Mm. 
So after, you know, Kendrick reacted and um, uh, got in front of, you know, in front of one of the shooters and, and, you know, sort of distracted them long enough for other people to <clears throat> leave, move, get cover, as well as also act um, after, after uh, you know, Kendrick's reaction. So I, I know at least two of the boys' names were Lucas, Albert, Tony, and Jackson Gregory, and, and I believe there was one other one as well. But, um, you know, what do you know anything about their side of the story yeah. and, and sort of, you know, I'm assuming that it was, you know, Kendrick's reaction that sort of prompted them to stand up as well. And I uh, wanted, wanted to give an opportunity for you to talk a little bit about that. Yeah, absolutely. There, there were four heroes in that room um, when those shooters entered. And, you know, Kendrick set it off. And uh, Jackson Gregory was on the other side of the room. And him and the teacher in the room, Miss Harper, who uh, actually had her concealed carry permit, <laughs> could have had a, a firearm. And, uh, you know, because of school policy, wasn't able to. But mm -hmm. um, so she was on one side with Jackson Gregory. When Kendrick rushed uh, Devin Erickson, the shooter, on the side of the room who was forcing people to the ground so he could execute him, he was followed by uh, Brandon uh, Bialy and uh, Joshua Jones. So those two students went right after Kendrick and helped to uh, fight the gun away. Uh, the gun jammed hmm. after Kendrick had, you know, rushed him. So I don't know how that played out if it was. The other two boys are Kendrick getting a hold of the slide on the gun to sure. mm -hmm. to cause a malfunction. But uh, yeah, so those were the four that were active, and there were already a, a magazine from the um, twenty two pistol that were was fired off and uh, hit several students. Uh, one of them being Elbertoni, and uh, there were few other students that were that were struck did know? those other did those other students survive they they did they did one yeah. was one was hit in the head okay. yeah one was hit in the leg yeah they all survived kendrick was, was the only one? fatality yeah. and you've spoken to these others yes in fact i'm very close with uh brendan i mean i, I knew him before but you know we've uh We've become closer after this event, and he's also... That was something that I was curious about, too. You know, how many of the students in this class were, you know, friends? I mean, I'm sure they all were friends, but, you, you know, I mean, the the definition of a, of a friend in terms of, like, you know, you and your wife knew them, and they, they spent time at each other's houses, things like that. Yeah, you know, I think, actually... Kendrick knew Brendan and they, they talked and we knew of that and a couple of other kids in the classroom, but for the most part, they weren't part of his tight network that would, you know, our house was a gathering space. Mm -hmm. So there was always about 10 or 12 kids that would come over <laughs> and hang out. And, uh, you know, fortunately it was none of them who were in that room. Mm -hmm. Um, but, but Brendan, you know, was probably about the closest. And then there were a couple, so you talk about your, your house being sort of the gathering ground and, uh, you know, that was, you know, kind of made me reminisce about my childhood. My, my, my house was always that way. My mom was always, my parents were both very inviting about, you know, my friends coming over. I think their, I think their perspective growing up was, I'd rather have you all here than you guys be yeah. anywhere else. Um, Keep tab. <laughs> yeah. So can you talk a little bit about, 
you know, I I was curious, you know, after reading so much about Kendrick and, you know, the there was a uh, an article where, you know, you had said, you know, you you had talked to him about this possibility and that you told him, you know, you don't have to be the hero. And he sort of said, well, you know, if I have an, if, if I'm in a position to stop something, I'm going to do it. And I, that really resonated with me and it made me think about asking you, you know, what are the things that you did growing when he was growing up that made him be that way? How did you raise him to feel that way? Even after that tough conversation of you not having to be a hero, he still, you know, kind of took set the expectation for you that if I'm in this position, I'm, I'm going to do that, dad, you know? And I think that's a testament to you and your wife and how you raised them. And I'm, I'm kind of curious. I have young kids as does Mike. And I, I wanted to see if you could, you know, if you, if there's something you can point to or talk about the way that you raised him, that made him that way. Yeah. Some of it was, was faith. I mean, it was, there's virtue there. Mm-hmm. Um, patriotism, uh, you know, Kendrick's grandfather, my dad, uh, was a Korean Marine veteran. And um, we would fish and hunt and spend time outdoors. And, you know, I always thought it was interesting when I was growing up, our camping trips and hunting trips were more than that. You know, it was about being self-reliant. And, uh, um, you know, there was lessons there that my dad was teaching me that he had learned from the military. I, I discovered that as I was much older in life, sure. but I kind of replicated that. And we did that with Kendrick. I mean, we brought him in and, um, just, he ran with it and, you know, he had that willingness to help people. A lot of that was from his Catholic school. I mean, he was there and would, uh, alter serve and go to funerals where older people didn't have enough friends or family. And, uh, you know, he was an altar server and he'd help walk the casket out. That was part of it. And just being part of, since he was an only child, I mean, being part mm. of community, um, I tried to get him involved in activities like cars and, and, uh, fishing, kayaking. And his mother loved kids too. You know, she had a big part to do with it. I mean, Mm -hmm. when I said our home was a gathering place, I mean, she would make prime ribs of these kids and set up the (laughs) dining room table. Sounds like my kind of, sounds like my kind of house. Yeah. Yeah. It was great. They'd come over and go down in the basement and game and be kids. And, you know, he had a golf cart or mini bike and Hmm. the kids would play and have fun, get tired and come and eat, you know? So, so we just created that community. And, um, I think that's a lot of it, you know, and then we're also the type of family that when we've seen injustice, we wouldn't stay quiet. You know, if we're mm. at a, a store and somebody's still in an item, you know, we're not going to like just turn the other way. We're like, Hey, what are you doing? You know, or we'd get involved. Right. Okay. Um, and you know, that was, you always instilled that, uh, you know, we stand up for what's right. Kind of. Yeah, that's right. That's exactly right. And we never made excuses to blame it on the firearm or anything like that as well. It's, you know, we would, we're a shooting family, not just for sporting or hunting, but we would go to the gun range and practice our second amendment. Right. I mean, Kendrick, uh, loved our veterans, law enforcement. Um, 
we grew up having respect for people. What what did he like? Uh, what did he like to shoot? Well, Glock nineteen. Uh, he was anxious to, you know, get his concealed carry permit and buy a different firearm, but a Glock nineteen, and then he had a Marlin thirty thirty uh, saddle gun that he'd used for deer. And uh, yep, yep, the scope on it, it was nice. And then uh, he had uh, Woodsmaster. Uh, Remington 30-06. So, you know, and then we had uh, various uh, Browning 22 that he was, you know, with the long gun, he was a crackpot shot. It was amazing. I mean, he was marksman stuff. And I contribute that to my father teaching him. But, you know, we were just, uh, it was interesting because I tell people, you know, we had our guns, I considered them antique. Mm-hmm. Until uh, he was in high school, we went out to Pahrump, Nevada, at a front site, and uh, we started shooting the, you know, what some people call Tupperware guns or the Glock, yep. you know, and the, the more modern guns. But yeah, that's that's more Mike's alley. Yeah. So while while we're on this topic, you had mentioned earlier that Kendrick's teacher actually had her concealed carry permit, and obviously was not permitted to carry it uh, on school grounds, and so you're a proponent of arming teachers and that's right. Listen, if this happened to anyone's child, but you know, obviously you had to go through this. And if you said like, I don't ever want to see a gun ever again, I don't think anyone would fault you. There's a lot of controversy around this topic. And given that you lost your son to gun violence, what would you say to people that say that more guns isn't the answer? I'd say they're dead wrong. You know, um, the gun is nothing more than an implement, a tool. That's all it is. And how it gets used or misused is you have to look at where that's coming from, where it's resonating from. And you you have to start to figure out how you're going to approach that. You know, I got so much slack after this because people just naturally thought that they can step in, whether it be politicians or groups like Moms Demand, mm. and um, take this tragic event and use it for their cause, which just infuriated my wife oh, and I sure. both. Because, you know, you can talk about the mental health side of this. You can talk about a lot of different things. The, the lack of virtue, the morality all of those things, but nobody ever talks about that. Um, the same three items come up every time, you know, uh, politicians look at these things to further their Agenda. careers. Um, you know, they blame it on mental health when it's not even verified yet. That's the the second thing that just pops up there and, and it could be, but that's just the old go-to. And, um, you know, those things are just not right. They're not accurate in every, situation and we have to be vigilant you know as americans in a free society with our second amendment we have the right to protect our families and our children and teachers in schools gun-free zones kill (laughs) people don't realize that i mean our, our financial institutions our sporting events um anything you see is protected by someone with a gun 
but yet they don't want him in our schools, you know, and it just blows my mind that in uh, suburbia and some of these areas, our rural communities are a little more understanding about it, but you know, that is starting to change too, as people move in and change those values. But, you know, that's where we're at. And it's funny because the media and the press just kind of pull away because if it doesn't fit their narrative yeah, and uh, what society likes, they don't want to cover it, you know, and I've, my wife and I've been very vigilant about exposing that and doing talks and uh, becoming advocates uh, for armed teachers, going to the Capitol to fight bills that are trying to uh, take away our armed citizens and their rights. So first of all, let me say I'm 100% in agreement with what you're saying, uh, but there are people that I know personally, I've, I've read of people saying similar sentiments of, well, a teacher's job is to teach. And what would you do if a teacher was armed and they were breaking up a fight and a kid got a hold of the gun and, you know, used it for, you know, ill intent or, you know, what about a teacher who just gets, you know, angry and can't control their actions. Right. And all of these things, I think the part that people are missing is there's a training component to this, right? So like, That's right. Um, people that, you know, work with like Faster Colorado and, and who are big proponents of this, they're not saying like, Hey, just strap a gun onto just any old, you know, person's hip and send them in. Right. It's, it's, there's a training component. And what I've always said is you would trust a, a police officer in your school. They're well, human beings too. Right. Yep. And if exactly Keith, and if a teacher's willing to go through that type of training, then, you know, have the same powers and authority in terms of the carry piece of that. I, that's the part I don't understand. And that's the part that I would question is like, you have no problem with an SRO being in a school, right? Like a kid, they could be breaking up a fight and a kid could get the same concept. Right. But yeah, for, you're absolutely for some reason when it's a teacher, all of a sudden, like, it's like he said, you know, the cops, like not human anymore. And the <laughs> teacher still would be. Yeah. That, that's the hard part for me as well, because, you know, I think people are so misinformed. And to the point where they're flat in denial of a lot of things, you know, as it's almost been five years since this event has taken place. Mm -hmm. And as I researched and went through it, um, well, first of all, the school had a contract dispute where they took the SRO out of the school. So there was <laughs> a security guard who was supposed to be unarmed for, I think it was less than $35, whether he could be armed or not, which is just disgusting that they would do that and take an unarmed security over an armed security guard. But thankfully he was carrying that day and he almost got in a lot of trouble for doing it. But what people don't realize is even with an SRO, um, with post certification, um, what they have to do to qualify with their weapon might be one time on yes. the range a year. And, you know, they're trained in traffic investigations, not situational. Now I think there's a uh, man an organization that's uh, working with uh, SROs and police uh, and uh, NASRO national uh, security resource officers. And they do a once a year workshop where they teach them some mental health and de-escalation things, but that's about it. It's really weak. There's no standard for security resource officers. And uh, the other thing on that, you know, is it's $80,000 for like one mm -hmm. in our area where you have 
veterans who are teaching and other people who can qualify with that gun and, uh, you know, have several protectors. Yeah. We've, we've talked on, on the show quite a few times about, you know, you, you're mentioning not only the SRO training, but regular police officer training. You know, we, we put so much stock in their ability to be able to protect us and their training is sometimes, you know, not to the level of some of these privatized citizens, including teachers. And I know the FASTA program, we've talked with uh, Laura about this, you know, they train beyond what's required of, of uh, the SRO or, or, or uh, anyone of the like. So, you know, I think that's important to to talk about here today and make sure everyone understands. And also Mike, not, not to, not to, and I know Keith agrees with this. That's why I'm saying it. We're not trying to say that police officers aren't doing their part. No, it's their no, departments. Their departments no. are the ones it's, making it's, the policy that they only need to qualify once a year. The officers aren't being given the support they need to train more often. I'm yes, but I'm not. You're correct in what you're saying, but I'm almost in, is, you know reiterating more of what John, what you said, and that is is that there's a common misconception in terms of you know how much training some of these teachers might have in their personal lives versus the thought process of them not being capable, capable of carrying a firearm like an SRO. And, you know, I think that's what you were kind of saying, John, right? Yeah, that's exactly right. And, and then just, you know, the SROs have their place, but they're not your best, um, not your best security to be quite honest. I mean, they're uniformed, identifiable. I mean, a perpetrator knows when they come and go. Sometimes they're shared between schools. Um, you know, school protection and school shootings has become a business, which is kind of disgusting oh, yeah. in a lot of ways. Um, you know, when you start looking at something at, as contracts and not as, you know, safety of teachers or students, you know, there's a problem there. And after these shootings, you see a lot of it. I mean, some of it is with physical devices and uh, AI metal detectors. Um, some of it's with contracts and law enforcement, unfortunately, but you know, there are some other things and yeah, I've come to know Laura and faster. And that's one thing I appreciate about, um, you know, that training avenue is that, you know, they even create scholarships for people who can't afford it to try to get them in there for these school districts and do the right thing and not make it where it just becomes a money machine. So, you know, we have to be careful about two things. And as, you know, survivors, my wife and I were very cognizant about what we support mm. and uh, how it's going to impact schools. Well, I, I, before I forget, I do want to take an opportunity to, to, you know, personally thank you for, you know, taking this approach and speaking up, you know, with your perspective um, uh, on, and your opinions on this topic, you know, I think these tragedies get varying degrees of coverage. You know, you mentioned uh, that a little previously, and I wanted to get some discussion around the coverage given to this particular one involving your son. You know, do, in your opinion, you know, was news coverage adequate and did it represent your son's bravery in, a, in, in your opinion in the best way possible? It did. You know, the news media was very fair. And they're reporting for the most part. I don't think that I had, my wife and I had much conflict. There was a couple of 
news organizations that kind of twisted the truth a little bit. Mm -hmm. But other than that, I think that, um, you know, a lot of them have been and continue to be very fair with us. So that's nice to hear. I I don't think I was expecting to hear you say that. (laughs) Yeah. But I think it's the approach too. you know, we've had very um, straightforward conversations with them when we do stories. It's Mm. like, we'll let you do this, but if it comes on the news and we see it, we're not in favor of how it's been edited or whatever, you'll never get another interview with us. Right. And we'll expose you, you know, through social media or some other means. Yeah. So let's just be mindful of that. And I think, you know, when you set those parameters and, you know, I think there are people too, a lot of people don't realize that the media is deeply impacted by these events, just like any. My, my thought was, you know, we, we were talking about, you know, faster, uh, a, a little bit ago and, and arming teachers and, and bringing it back to this coverage thing, my thought is, you know, would more focus on Kendrick and his story and, you know, schools that do participate in the FASTA program, you know, maybe would they help prevent, you know, things like this from happening by showing the opposing strength that that could be waiting for the evil that walks through the door that day, right? Yeah, no, I agree with you 100%. And that's part of why we have our advocacy. You know, people often ask, when you speak, we can, your pain radiates when you give these talks. You give so much truth to it. And how can you do that? It's like reliving it every day. And it's like, we do relive it every day, every single day. I mean, it's part of our lives. And we want to share it, not to hurt people, but to keep that, awareness alive that our schools are not safe and we need to do more and more is not being done. I mean, Colorado, for instance, is a Mecca for school shootings all the way back to Columbine and and whatnot. I can name them. It's funny you say that when I was prepping for this, my wife actually said to me, she says, why do I, why is there so much going on in Colorado? She actually said that exact same thing. So it's kind of funny that you're saying that, you know, Keith is asking the question about would coverage like this of, you know, sort of these stories of heroism and where programs like Faster actually help the situation, like, would that help to shine a light on this and maybe help improve the situation? The question I have kind of as a follow-up to Keith's would be, this is where I start to wonder, like, does the media not want that, you know? And I, and I certainly don't mean like, like there's some evil plan and they, they don't, they want shootings to happen but you know it it's it certainly you know it certainly seems sometimes as though when these things happen you know they get a lot of news coverage and that news coverage sells a lot of newspapers and so i'm just curious if you feel that they kind of avoid that a little bit oh yeah absolutely you know and and you know they'll tell people like myself my wife and i that you know we're fear-mongering and scaring people or doing things like that when it's anything. I was going to say, it's quite the opposite. Is, yeah. 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 We're just, you know, telling what the truth is so that we can create some vigilance and make changes that are needed. And, um, that's so strange that calling you yeah. fear mongering. I of mean, all that's, people. that's what they're doing. Yeah. Of, of all people, like, I'm sure that that's not what you woke up that morning and said, this is what I want to do. You know, I mean, your son gave the ultimate sacrifice and you, you know, the repercussions went for his family. And so, 
you know, I think you have every right to speak about what you think would have made that a better situation, in my opinion. Oh, yeah. Definitely. You know, there's so much to it. It's a, again, it gets politicized. People will say, you know, that uh, by talking about this, you're supporting one group or another. It's like, and I always end with telling them, you know, it's uh, never a Democratic or Republican, um, independent. Uh, These shooters don't care if you're gay or you're straight or what your uh, religion is. When they enter that classroom, you know, their goal is to kill and drop as many people as they can. Um, You know, so this impacts everyone. So so it really isn't political, but it's funny how it gets driven down those avenues. Yeah. I mean, the fact that they're saying to you, you're, you're supporting one side or you're only giving you, you know, you're, you're only favoring one side. I, I mean, the response back to them is, well, what side do you favor? Right. (laughs) You know, you're not, you're not saying you're okay with being understanding of both sides or any other side you're telling you know they're telling you that you're favoring one side when they're not saying at least that they're accepting that you have another opinion and based on your position and it being your son you're entitled to that you're you're favoring the side of protecting children in schools like that's the side you're favoring whoever whoever is okay with that and finding a solution that actually works right that's the solution you want and i find it funny because you know, they say fear mongering as though you have something to benefit from that. But what would your benefit be, right? Like you, you lost your son, nothing's going to bring that back. And so what would fear mongering do? Yeah, no, you're absolutely a hundred percent correct on that. You know, and, and it's interesting because when, when you have these in-depth conversations, I believe in my heart and soul that it comes back to people not understanding firearms. And and what they are and, you know, uh, how they're used. It's like they've never been around or been raised around guns. So they don't know, you know, a gun just doesn't pick itself up. You know, my my SIG has never jumped off the shelf and went and shot my neighbor or somebody, you know, Mm. it just doesn't work like that. But people have this idea in their head because of the media and television and everything else that the only avenue is to grab our guns, uh, restrict our rights. Uh, tax, ammunition, all of these things. And they believe that it's the problem's going to go away. When on the criminal side and the disturbed side of people, is they're just going to go break into a car and take a gun. They're not waiting for a three-day waiting period or, you know, I mean, and that's the truth of the matter. So I think it's a big, big education piece. Um, and I don't know how we get there to change a lot of the people who don't understand that. I mean, that's, we talk about it all the time that we are just very divided, especially on topics like this. And, you know, it's, it starts to feel like that's just how it is, is we're just, you know, we're divided down the middle. And, you know, to take this one step further in terms of uh, sort of giving you some defense, I suppose, suppose of this idea of fear mongering and maybe, you know, anyone who would accuse you of having sort of a self-serving bend here. You were given the opportunity to take a $387,000 payout from the school and you turned it down. So, I mean, right. you know, can, can you explain why you turned it down and like, what, what were you hoping to accomplish by doing so? Cause I'll, you know, there are people who would have taken it saying that's, you know, that was the maximum payout the school would, was, for, you know, would have had to give, but you didn't take it. So. No, we're, my wife and I, you know, we only had Kendrick, he's our only son. I mean, we, we loved him with all of our heart. We had all our eggs in one basket. 
we live a simple, clean life. I mean, I'm maintenance engineer that works on equipment. Uh, my wife was a chef. We don't need a lot. I mean, we're, we're not out to grab money. I mean, and money's not going to bring back our son. Right. What we want is we want to fix the process. We want the truth so we can share it with community and people and their kids will be safe. We don't want another Kendrick out there in the world that has to rush a shooter. We want to fix the problem. So the money thing never, ever entered our mind. I mean, that's not important to us. Yeah. And that's why we were able to refuse that and turn it down. And they even, they even found uh, some case law where there was a malpractice um, lawsuit from I think a university hospital, which is like a government entity where they were able to force the uh, clients to take the payout. And they tried that on us. And fortunately we were able to not do that. And, uh, yeah. That's, you know, so they, they want to force it on you and then just have you walk away. So right. it's, we're, we're, we're probably the worst case scenario for <laughs> somebody who's trying to cover something up because, you know, we're not bending or folding to it. And, and, did not taking, you know, did not taking that payout afford you the ability to, you know, pursue pursue this court case that uh, I think was uh, at least waiting, you know, some sort of decision from April of last year, 23, on, on the things we were talking about earlier, the breakdown in policies and procedures and sort of some of those truths that we're trying to get out was, were those, were those two connected was the ability to pass up those funds open up the door for you to, to continue the, 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 the uh, search, I guess, or the, the uh, journey. Well, yeah, in, in a way it, it did because I mean, had we accepted money or funds, I mean, yeah, you, it would have allowed them to deny us yeah. other information that we wanted. So That's by, by not doing that, you know, it, it, uh, allows us to move forward with this to get to our truth that uh, we need to share. That's sort of what happens with this stuff is like they yeah. are, they offer you a price and you know, what's your peace of mind worth? What is your, what is your soul worth? And they give you money and they hope that you move on and that's the end of it. And so like you, like you said, someone like you is Stand not, up for what's right. it's not what they want, right? They don't, they don't want someone who says we don't want the money. And, you know, first off, let me be the first to say good for you. Second. You know, I I certainly cannot imagine your pain and what you've been through and, and your wife, but you have like you said, you had one one son, one child. And so, you know, the, nothing nothing is gonna change that. And you're you know, you're fully invested in him and, and I truly, truly admire that. That is it's very admirable of you and your wife. Oh no, no, I I just wanted to say, you know, just it's so hard to get into our head where we're at with this, but it was so difficult. I mean, the shock of losing our son in the shooting, I want to say it took well at least into three years that we weren't totally just, you know, not able to accept anything, knowing, knowing that it had happened, you know, just, our minds and the way my wife felt. I remember, you know, like most families, you might have an insurance policy on 
your spouse or whatever. We had one on our son. It wasn't for much money, but I remember it was almost like taking blood money to mm. cash that thing. We didn't want it. We didn't want it had to deal with any of it. It wasn't even a lot of money, just the symbolism of what it meant. Sure. You know, and I think that, you know, I, I, I just don't know. I, I think that people, I can't see how anybody can, money is not going to make anything better. It's not going to bring your children back and it's not going to suffice anything. So, I mean, that that's the easy decision. Getting to the truth, I mean, it, it should be a testament to what people are trying to hide when yeah. they're going to these means, you know, it's for true. not letting you share the truth. It's really. Uh, are there any updates on that? Like I said, I think I had read the last update that I was able to find was middle of last year, but, uh, you know, that the judge would be giving a decision at a later date. When When is that supposed to happen? Well, any time now, and, you know, the next few weeks, we're hoping to hear back from the new judge. Okay. There's been a series of events. The original judge who had this um, was just elected and then decided he wanted to retire when it came time, you know, when we started to gain ground on this. He didn't want to rule on it. Mm -hmm. So he passed it off to a special master, which is another re retired judge to oversee all the information and depositions. And, uh, you know, we had to go back and forth and dissimulate what can be talked about and what couldn't be talked about. Um, you know, the camera locations or things that were frivolous that we didn't care about where we were more, um, you know, there were other items that we were more interested in. So we got to that point, and then now, you know, there's been a new judge that has been assigned to it, and he has to review all of it again. So, you know, this has been passed off like three times, and we're still waiting. Are there any of the other families that were affected um, that are supporting you and have any interest in the case, or is this just all you and your wife? Just my wife and I. You know, there were other families that immediately, you know, they got some kind of payout from the yeah. school. I don't know what it was. Probably an insurance policy or something, and that that just that ended it, right? You take the money, that means you can't go any farther. That's right. So there were some settled lawsuits from a couple of other families that we know of, but uh, you know everybody kind of scattered. Yeah, and you know that's kind of let's talk about that for a minute because sure. that's kind of an interesting concept that happens too. It's, uh, you know, I know this sounds cold-hearted or whatever, but the societies that we live in, there were people who had their kids that were involved in the shooting. And I remember them wanting to not even be at the trial to see what was going on. You know, we were there for every single day of it, but, you know, they had planned vacations and things like that. And just, you know, it infuriated my wife and me Yeah, that, you know, somebody's like, just, we have our kids, you know, we're fine and we're moving on. Yeah. And, uh, some of them moved to other places thinking they can outrun it, you know, yep. but, um, those are the things that's a reality of what happens after these shootings. Yeah. Yeah. It's an unspoken reality. I think, you know? Yeah. 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 I, I had talked to somebody once and I, I need to verify to see if it's true, but they said after Columbine, there were like three families that moved to Italy hmm. to like, just leave the United States. Right. 
And I thought, wow, that's just crazy. It's weird. You know, it's like yeah, my wife and I want to stay here and fight to see the change that we need in Colorado. And, uh, I don't know. Everybody's different. Yeah. That, I mean, that is very true. People handle things different as well. Um, you know, speaking of that, back in 2021, prior to the trial, you spoke about the difficulty you had as a Catholic not being able to be forgiving of the um, students who perpetrated this atrocity. Uh, as a father myself, I, I simply can't imagine that feeling. Uh, two and a half years later, here we are. Have you managed to reconcile those feelings in any way, shape, or form? Yeah, no, there's no forgiveness for the killers. You know, I, I, uh, I pray and I, I ask God for forgiveness on how I feel and my thoughts of anger and, and what I wish would happen to these two individuals. But no, there's no forgiveness for what they did. I mean, what they took from my wife and I is yeah. uh, not forgivable. And, and, you know, we weren't your ordinary Catholics as well. I mean, we went to church every single Sunday. Um, you know, Saturdays is when we went because, you know, my wife worked with her work schedule and, you know, as a, and still am, I'm a member of the Knights of Columbus. I pray the rosary Kendrick, you know, as honoring him, you know, we remain strong in our faith and, and it, it, it's what keeps us going as well. Sure. But that one burning thing, you know, and that, isn't that what evil does? I mean, it doesn't just murder your children, but it attacks you sure. too. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, that's something that I have to deal with. And, and I'm willing to, and so is my wife. I mean, there is no forgiveness for this kind of evil. You, you had said something, and I'm, I'm paraphrasing, and I'm probably not doing it justice, but you said something to the effect of, you messed with the Castillo. Like, we're, you know, we're, we're not going to let this go. And uh, I really admire that. You know, a father to a father to a father. I, I I really admire that. Well, thank you. You know, the love for our son was everything. The love I have for my wife is everything. And, you know, she's all I have now. But as a family, you know, there were so many things that were right when we were raising Kendrick. So many good things. I remember my wife, for whatever reason, telling me, if you're not busy at work today, why don't you just swing in and take him a happy meal at school? <laughs> and I'm like, yeah, that, chicken nuggets, cheeseburger. That sounds fun. So I would do it. Yeah, that's it. Yeah. Chicken nuggets. He liked the nuggets. <laughs> I'd take a hamburger and his face, his face would light up when I knock on the door and they'd let me in the gym, you know, where they had their tables <laughs> and I'd go sit with his friends. And it was like, that's the good stuff. Those are the yeah. moments, Yeah, you know, and more men. You know, and uh, families, I should say, too. My wife was always awesome, but, uh, you know, for her to remind me to do that and for me to do it made our life special. And, you know, we're still doing that. We're honoring him by fighting. And uh, we'll probably do that until the day we join up with him again. Well, I'm, uh, I, I think that's admirable and uh, keep, keep, uh, keep doing it for as long as you can. And, are you involved with the annual uh, Kendrick uh, Castillo uh, Memorial Robotics Tournament? Yes, I am. I uh, I show up, and you know they've been very gracious to name it after him, and uh, we've created scholarships for other kids. So companies that front money and things that help uh, 
pay for robotics because it's very expensive. Yep. Is great. You know, and they've asked us if there's anything that we want from them personally. And it's like, no, just use his name. Yeah. You know, get his name out there and let him be remembered. Let it be a day that, and I think it's healthy for the kids that if they're struggling to remember what one of their, you know, fellow comrades did, you know, he was a nerd who stood up and, you know, that there's some worth to that. And it's so important. I'll never forget one day I was uh, with my wife at the cemetery and a lady came and she had her son and she said he was uh, in one of the younger grades I said, oh, at, the, at the school when the shooting happened. And so we talked with her for a while and he stayed away. He was back over at the cemetery like, I don't know, a few rows back on a little path. And I said, would he come down here? And she goes, no. She said he struggles because he doesn't feel that he was brave, that he could have done as much as like Kendrick did. Mm. And that just tore me to pieces. I'm like, you know, survivor guilt is real. And what people live with. Yeah, I and I'm glad you said that, you know, because I agree that survivor's guilt is real, but at the same time, there is a flip side to that coin and and Kendrick is the flip side, right? You know, the <clears throat> the support and love that you showed him and the things that you showed him growing up made him be able to be that flip side. And um, you know, while I understand the survivor's guilt and maybe, you know, you had mentioned, you had said something earlier that you said maybe sounded cold and this maybe sounds cold, but you know, I, I think I'd rather have a son like your son that is on the flip side of that coin than has the survivor's guilt. Yeah, that's true. You know, you never know what you walk with in your daily life until you've been through a situation. Sure. And and you're absolutely right. As men, we should be teaching our children um, to do good like that. I mean, my wife and I, I think in one of our interviews, they asked, you know, where are you surprised that Kendrick would do that? And it's like, absolutely not. My <laughs> wife and I both knew that his love for people, that he would do that. Well, you don't know how you're, this goes for all of us. You'd never know how you're going to act in a tragic situation, but in this situation, your son acted. And that's, that's, yeah. that is what that is. You know what I mean? I mean, Someone you could run a scenario a thousand times and you might act differently every one of those thousand times, but in the one time where your son had a chance to act, he did act. And that's very admirable. Yeah, you're right. And what what you said before too also uh about the media and how we feel about things. Sometimes, you know, I I get upset because uh mass shooting by its definition from the FBI. Yes. You know, you have to I believe it's three four, or more. Four, four, or four more. people, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Four, four people laying in chalk before it's considered a mass shooting, which is just, you know, it, it really ticks me off because Kendrick was a hero and nobody will know. Yeah. Because that's the other way that we hide things, you know. So um, that's really sad. You know, when they calculate these things and you look at the numbers, it's all skewed to minimize the true effect of what happened. No, and, and I even believe that there's a season 
of shooting. Oh. But, what what makes you think that? And do you have a re- a reason why you think that, or why it is a season? Well, I, I believe it's a season. You know, the research that I've done and the, the stories, I haven't got down in to brass tacks and uh, check dates, but it, it usually coincides with right after like Christmas time, moving into the spring, spring break. And kids have become, there's something going on either at home or school with their grades, or they've become more comfortable with their social settings and environments that I think they get more disturbed. And it starts to um, show itself um, right after like January, moving into, uh, you know, the, the springtime season. And that's when you'll see some of these shootings uh, take place. Hmm. And that's just my belief, you know, from what I've seen. And we just had one here, what, a couple of weeks ago hmm. um, in Ohio, I think. But yeah, and it's definitely, you know, interesting on the timeline. So I have to ask if you were to have 10 minutes alone with your son right now, what would you say to him? Well, you know, I don't know. I talk to him. My wife and I visit him every day. We go to his gravesite. Over five years we've been doing it. And I talk to him. And I wonder, you know, I, I don't know what I would say to him. I ask myself, you know, I I should have told him to stay home. You know, we're such rule followers that we send him to school. It's like, I think more of my thoughts are, I, you should have just taken your Jeep and your friends and went to the mountains that day. You shouldn't have even gone to school with three days left. Mm-hmm. But, uh, yeah. You know, they're watching The Princess Bride. They weren't learning anything. Right. But uh, I would tell him I love him. For sure. He already knows that. And uh, how hard this has been on his mother. Mm Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I would ask him, like I always do, to look over her because it's that important. You know, it's just, yeah. In fact, I think I told Laura Carno here a while back that, you know, the irony of my life is, you know, I've, I've been able to rebuild engines and rear ends and cars, and build houses, do just about anything. We, uh, programmed computers and robots you know he had a love for aerospace there were all these things that we could do but this tragedy i can't fix Mm -hmm. right i can't bring him back you know and that's really what eats at us every day you know that's the hard part and in some ways john you just mentioned you just said it but we can fix so many things, right? We can build things, but 
the human experience is a very special thing and it's not something that can be replicated. Uh, certainly for each of us, it can't be duplicated. And so, you know, it's, this is a reminder, this conversation, first off, thank you very much. It's, it's, you know, it's a very powerful conversation, but it's a reminder of how special that human experience is and how every day we should, you know, really take a moment to, you know, be thankful for the opportunity that we have to, you know, spend it with one another. Yeah, sure is. You know, if, so for those of for those of us listening out there who have kids and uh, you know a family, don't take any of that for granted. I, I will say that, and I'm I'm not one to tell people how to live their lives, but my personal experience is, you know, just cherish every second of every day. Mm. Yeah. yeah, I was going to say, and you kind of just gave it, but it, other than what you just said, is there anything? It could be about every, anything we've talked about tonight. It could just be about your, you know, your thoughts on anything. But is there is there something you would want our listeners to take away from our conversation today? Yeah, I, I'd like them to know that they need to get involved. I mean, they need to go to their schools and act and uh, ask how their kids are being protected, what measures they're doing, and uh, you know, like my father had taught me, and I taught Kendrick, you know. Sometimes you have to challenge the system, the authority. You have to ask the questions. What are you doing to keep my child safe? Um, yes. How do you feel about this? And I mean, we don't need to just do it at, at our schools. We need to go down to our uh, legislators. And these days, you can even remote in and uh, you know give testimony about your life and ask these questions when there's these ridiculous bills. How is restricting you know, our God-given rights to protect our family. A good thing when there's criminals out there and you can't, you know, they're defunding police. They're doing all these ridiculous things to make our societies less safe. Um, you know, we need to stand up as people. And I've known, you know, friends and people who are sportsmen or avid shooters that will go to the range and they're gun owners, but they won't defend their freedoms. So, I mean, that's mm, yeah. one thing we should do immediately. You know, we should, uh, you should make that part of your exercise. You know, just like we uh, do muscle memory by going out to the range and target shooting, you should get out and support what's important because we'll lose those rights and uh, our society is just going to get worse. Yeah. This has been a tremendous conversation. Um, we have a tradition on this show. Uh, called Run and Gun, and it's a ten question uh, rapid fire question game. And uh, we ask the guests to give the first thing that comes to their mind, and we've never missed it once in the uh, three years we've been doing the show. So we were hoping you would do it with us today. Okay. Okay. Number one, what is your favorite gun in your personal collection? Uh, my Sig P three sixty five micro. What gun would you buy if money was no object? Uh, Shadow Systems, 920. If you could have a drink with one person living or dead, who would it be? My son. Favorite caliber? Um, favorite caliber, pro probably... 
Just nine millimeter. It's versatile. Yeah. Favorite hobby, not gun related. Uh, off-roading, jeeping. If you could have one superpower, what would it be? Uh, to bring my son back. All hell breaks loose. Is it better to be armed or trained? Better to be trained. Is it better to be loved or feared? It's better to be loved. Rifle, pistol, or shotgun? Rifle. You're in the worst scenario imaginable. Who do you want to have your back other than your spouse? Quinn Cunningham, lead instructor for Faster. Well, John, I want to thank you for coming on the show and sharing Kendrick's story with us. Uh, His great sacrifice is a testament to the type of parents both you and his mother are. I can't even begin to imagine what it would be like to go through the type of pain that your family has gone through. But young men like your son give me tremendous hope that our country is not lost and that we have a future that is worth fighting for. And to everyone listening to this very special episode, we want to thank you again for taking time out of your day to tune into our show. You can find links in our show notes to all of our social media. So be sure to follow us on Instagram, Twitter, Discord, and Spotify so we can keep the conversation going. 